The Racing with Robin Roller podcast. The first week of the NASCAR playoffs are behind us. And IndyCar has just one more race to go in the season. And that means we have, of course, naturally a multi-driver uh, battle for the championship coming up here this weekend at Laguna Seca. And uh, then it also seems that Red Bull is the only F1 team that seems to want to win a race, given the fact that Mercedes are willing to botch a race and Ferrari just flat don't know what they're doing. Nico Rosberg was right. Yeah, it seems like it. Uh, my name is Rob Peters, and I am in Indianapolis while my co-host Josh Roller joins me from Charlotte, and we make up the two sides of this podcast, and we have a fun, fun show for you this week. Uh, coming up in this show, we have a very fun, uh, packed, uh, upshift, downshift segment where we're going to have a lot of uh, discussions to go, so stay tuned for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, don't forget, Roller's featured Ra- week in racing is coming up as well, so if you want to learn some history about what happened in this week in racing, that's always cool. And not to mention, we're about to jump right on in to some of the news and get ready and talk about our featured paint schemes and everything, because we got a fun featured paint scheme, one of my favorite uh, seasons in all of NASCAR we're going to do this week. But let's first start off with some of the news, so I'll fade off the intro here. And we'll jump right on in here to the news segment, starting off with Formula One. The FIA contract renegotiation board ruling is in, and McLaren has won the battle to have Oscar Piastri drive for them in 2023, and that their contract with Piastri is indeed valid. So that means that in much like we talked about already last week on the show, Daniel Ricciardo is out of the McLaren seat for next year, and now this means that for sure Oscar Piastri is in. However, we still don't know who will be replacing Fernando Alonso at Alpine. Could be anybody, and uh, we'll talk about this here in a little bit, but could it be, like I said this last week before I even saw the rumors were going around, that it could, that, you know, Pierre Gasly is being linked to Alpine, but now I've heard other names be thrown around for a possible Alpine drive. I don't know who's going to get that drive uh, at all, but we do know that I guess Yuki Sonoda's on the hot seat and is probably going to continue to be on the hot seat, as we'll discuss in the upshift-downshift coming up. Uh, more on this later in the show, but Helmut Marco told Speed City Broadcasting on Sirius XM Radio that a deal to bring Colton Herta to Formula One to drive in uh, an Alpha Tauri in 2023 is in place if the FIA grants Herta a waiver on his lack of super license points. He also mentioned Gasly's move to Alpine is not contingent on Herta's waiver, and it is believed that Alpine is still exploring other options at this time, which is exactly why I firmly believe that... Uh, Tsunoda is on the hot seat because if Alpha Tauri decides to go in the direction of keeping Pierre Gasly and Gasly decides not to go to Alpine, uh, I it, I don't see Tsunoda being there. I think if uh, Pierre Gasly does go to Alpine, then they'll probably slide Colton Herta in there. But as of right now, that doesn't seem super likely. It could happen. Nobody really knows. But uh, we could we could find out here in the next couple of weeks. Um, I'm curious to see and hear some of your thoughts, everybody, not just Josh, but also our listeners on what you think about Colton Herta getting into Formula One. Like we said, we'll talk about this here in a little bit, but, uh, why don't you go ahead and warm up some of those tweets? Use the hashtag Robin Roller at rpeters33 at 
Roller underscore zero one at Robin Roller. What do you think about Colton Herna getting into Formula One? Do you think he's ready? Do you think the FIA should make a waiver on his super license points? Let me know. I want to know. And uh, how about this? Uh, oh, Lord have mercy. He's back as if one-off NASCAR races and eh, a very, contra- not controversial, but um, polarizing music. Jacques Villeneuve will test last year's Alpine Formula One car at Monza on Wednesday after uh, the Italian Grand Prix. So this weekend's upcoming weekend's Italian Grand Prix will feature uh, Jacques Villeneuve making some test laps in last year's Alpine. I I don't know why. I didn't even know this was news. Josh, where did you find this piece of news? Motorsport.com. Uh, they, they reported on it? Oh, it must be a PR move then by somebody. Uh, all right, let's move on to IndyCar news because uh, we do have some... We don't actually have any updates yet on the Alex Pelot saga. That is still coming. However, we do know that Alex Pelot is no longer in the championship hunt uh, with one race to go in the IndyCar series season. So that means that uh, he is no longer... The, he no longer has a chance to defend his uh, IndyCar title and he only has one more week of the reign as the defending IndyCar title. And uh, probably we'll learn where he's going to drive next year. In the next couple of weeks, I had to, I'd have to assume, because if I recall correctly, uh, there was the piece of news that his, you know, his status for next year, where he was going to drive within the McLaren organization, would not be announced probably until after the season, in which is now September, a couple of weeks after September. Um, maybe we might not even hear it until October, who knows, hoping sooner rather than later, but still yeah. we don't know, uh, yet, but that's still on the forefront of everybody's, um, wondering, because now we know that Piastri is going to go and race for McLaren, but we still have that question mark of, okay, but you see, Pelot took this job with McLaren and it's all p- signs pointed to a possible F1 ride, which again, Leads me back to why I said even Lando Norris's seat could be a jeopardy, because if this goes through, if Pelot gets through, if I'm Lando Norris, I'm gonna start waiting. I'm gonna, you know, wait by my phone and and see if my agent calls me with the buyout agreement from McLaren, because I'd have to imagine it's coming sooner rather than later. At this point, I mean, again, I'm just connecting some dots here. Piastri's already taken Ricardo's spot. Not saying Lando has had a bad race or a bad season at all. He hasn't. But why else are they bringing Polo in if not for this reason? I mean, is he going to go to Formula E? No, because they've already got one of the seats filled with Rene Rast. So we know Rene Rast is going to the, one of those spots. We know that um, we know that uh, now, like I said, Piastri is going to one of the spots. So now they've got too many. They've, they've promised Felix Rosenquist a spot. Now they promised Polo a spot. Well, who's it going to go to? Is Polo going to take that IndyCar spot then instead? Yeah. If he's taking that yeah. IndyCar spot, then why in the world did he sign with McLaren in the first place? If it doesn't and make all of this so messy, it doesn't make sense. You're winning, winning championships with just Chip Ganassi Racing. You won the championship previously. Why would you blow all of that up to leave? If you're not even being guaranteed an F1 drive right off the bat, that's why, you know, like, I mean, I understand every time I I mention this, Josh, you roll your eyes at me and I'm sure everybody listening on this podcast probably rolls their eyes at me as well. And they say Lando's not going, going anywhere, but you, you can't sit here and tell me that 
you're not at least a little bit worried if you're Lando you got, Norris. You're, you're, you're telling me that his... Yeah, I mean, McLaren has taken a step back from 2021 with their car performance. There's no yeah. question about that, all right? But Lando is still... I think reaching the car's potential more often than not in Danny Ricardo is like an also ran always. I don't think I'm honestly, if I'm Lando, I'm not worried. I think it letting McLaren, letting Lando go would be a PR disaster, especially among, among the, among the British. And I don't think that's a, and I think he's an exceptionally popular driver on the F1 grid internationally i don't think that's exclusive to queen and country so i i i'm not worried for lando if land if lando is let go i would be completely shocked i think you'd be shocked i think that what you, what you say you'd be shocked if he stays i think alex polo is going to be in an indy car next year um with the mclaren and he'll be teammates with pato award and alexander rossi and felix rosenquist is either going to be Formula E or that contract extension that they signed is either going to be torn up or he's going to find himself in Extreme E. Honestly, that I mean that those are his three options I see for Felix Rosenquist. Formula E, no contract, Extreme E. Look, I'm not saying you're wrong, and and I I you know look, I wouldn't be surprised if Lando keeps his seat either. I'm just saying I'm going to I'm not going to be surprised if he loses it or keeps it. Because I'm not going to go that point, far. Well, but, the, and the, but this is the thing. I understand it makes logical sense that they would keep Polo in IndyCar. But Polo, when, when they announced this and when he signed this deal and the way he was talking, he goes on this whole tangent about how, oh, I'm signing this deal because I want to be closer to Spain. I want to be closer to home. I want to have a chance to race in F1. And it's like, okay, so you're going to destroy a perfectly good relationship in IndyCar it may Just not be perfectly good. It, 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 it may not be perfectly good. Maybe he's not happy at Chip Ganassi racing. Maybe there's something there he doesn't like. Whether it be an individual or culture, this is not mixing up with him. Uh, mixing up with his desires and wants. It, 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 on paper and performance-wise, it is a good marriage, but it goes beyond that. You know, Anyone can put up a facade of a good marriage, but you go home and watch him, it may not be good. And that's maybe what this is. Yeah, he won a championship. Fantastic. But that doesn't mean you like each other. I, I, I mean, look, I'm not going to say your own. I'm, I am just, this is my gut feeling is that I think if you are a McLaren driver right now, you're not safe, period. Okay. You're just not safe. You're not safe. You better, you're, you're, if you're a McLaren driver right now, you're not going to feel safe until everybody's contracts have been announced for next year. Until you know specifically where everybody is going, you're not going to be safe, 100% safe. And that's, that's just how I feel. You know, and again, I will say I'm not that crazy. I'm not, I'm not actually saying that Lando is going to lose his ride. I don't think, that, I don't think that's going to happen either. I'm simply saying like it would not surprise me if he's on the hot seat as well and McLaren is, ad, is, is you know, evaluating him. And saying, you know, he, to us, he might be getting the car's full potential, but to McLaren, they might believe differently, and that's why they want might want to go and, and clean house. I don't know. 
I don't know, but this is just what I'm speculating based upon what I've seen. And oh. and what I've seen is that McLaren McLaren is very flexible with contracts, and that's sometimes and not always to the benefit of the drivers. Um, we'll get to the, more of that here uh, coming up on the show, but uh, let's get into uh, some more uh, Chip Ganassi racing news because Mike Hull uh, has, has stated that the team wants to have four full-time cars again and that Jimmy Johnson told press over the weekend at Portland that he is up for returning for a full schedule of races next season if it's possible. And, um, you know, I think that'd be great to see more of Jim Jam. I think he was really coming into his own on ovals. I think he is getting better on road courses slowly but surely. Um, it is going to take him a long time, and I don't think he's ever going to be a race winner on a road course or even a podium finisher, but I think there could be a point where, you know, he's not one second off the pace. He's yeah. only about maybe half a second off the pace. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that could that could legitimately think, be a thing in his in his future. But if, if there's an opportunity for IndyCar to go to more ovals next year, as I've been begging for for the last decade, um, I would – firmly believe that Jimmy Johnson would be a fierce competitor uh, contender to potentially win a race next year uh, on one of those oval tracks. So uh, if anything, Chip should just keep him in there for the sake of, you know, having a guaranteed extra bullet in Indianapolis. You know, you want to have as many opportunities to win at there as possible. Well, why not stick someone in there who's got more races won at Indianapolis than everybody else on your team? Um, oh, he's yeah. got more than Dixon. He's got more than yeah. Dixon. Uh, yeah i was thinking and i i I misinterpreted what you said there for a second like hold on a second yes you're right he's got more wins at indianapolis than everyone else on the cgr combined yeah man's got four brickyards and dixon has one 500 Mm -hmm. erickson has one 500 and dixon has a grand prix right he might have two i think he just has one though i think he has one Uh, yeah i think he just has one he was the first man to win he wasn't named power and no Power or Pagano, yeah, I think you're right. Well, I think he was either the first or second guy to win. I can't remember. But yeah. No, I think he was the first one. First one. Um, but anyway, uh, that's that's what's going on there with the uh, happier, the lighter side of Chip Canassi racing. <laughs> uh, Andretti Autosports COO Rob Edwards told Racer that the team is giving Jamie Chadwick an opportunity on September 21st to test an Indy Lights Delara IL-15 at Sebring. It's about darn time Jamie Chadwick was actually able to advance and move up in a junior category. About darn time. The fact of the matter is she's quick and deserves a test in Indy Lights. And if, you know, there's a future there in Indy Lights, if there's a future there at IndyCar, I say give it to her. I don't see why not uh, at this point. I think she's proven herself plenty of times over in the W Series. Uh, obviously, there's... Lord knows, just don't... This is the funniest thing. Is anytime you mention this, Jamie Chadwick or the W Series or defended in any way, not even defended. I I I, I don't speak li- like honorably of the W Series. I'm pretty outspoken that it is just a token racing league uh, for virtue signaling and not actually a, a stepping stone for women. Um, and there's still people who sit there and and will will argue with me about this and say like, oh the, no. The, it's all full of people who aren't good enough. That the racers aren't good enough. I'm like, dude, I wasn't even talking about that. I was simply voicing my frustration for the fact that the series does not operate as a feeder series should. And man, people can't get over this. So surely they'll get over it when Jamie Chadwick tests an Indy Lights car. And I'm pretty sure she'll be on pace with 
everything. I wouldn't be surprised. I would be genuinely surprised if she was far off the pace because I, I, I don't foresee that being, being something that happens. Um, but anyway, if I eat my words, I eat my words. But I, I'm pretty confident that Chadwick will, will probably impress in an Indy Lights car. Uh, moving on into some NASCAR news. Uh, this was uh, kind of crazy, a, bu- a bit of a bummer, but uh, kind of crazy too. Uh, Jeremy Clements, who won the NASCAR Xfinity Series race at Daytona, but uh, has but has had his uh, playoff ability pay- playoff eligibility stripped from him. His win has essentially been the old word encumbered, cucumbered, mm-hmm. what have you. Uh, after a teardown at the R&D Center, that they, he was assessed an L2 penalty for what uh, Jeremy Clements Racing said was too short of a manifold from the carburetor face bottom of the plant. plant I don't know what I don't know cars, don't know. Josh. I only know how to talk about racing cars. Um, but anyway, yeah. So this was a big deal because Clements also lost lost uh, ten playoff points. He keep the win. The win will still stand, but he's not in the playoffs anymore. This is, um, I mean, here's my thing. I, I'm interrupting you. If you're going to tear it down, I know you didn't find it at the track, but if you're taking the car to the R&D center and you find something wrong with it, something's wrong with it, throw them out. DQ them. I know it sucks to take away that win, take away that moment. And in reality, I guarantee you this didn't really affect the race, didn't really affect it, but it was outside the rules, right? And this didn't give him an advantage. Throw him out anyways. They can keep the moment. Like, you know what, guys? We didn't really affect it, but we won. We won. We survived the carnage. We moved past this a few years ago, and now we just took a a step back. What the heck? I mean, it's bogus. I bet you you just made all the Timmy Hill fans listening cheer out and rejoice and say, yes, we agree with you. I mean, I mean, I'm not doing it for that. I'm, I'm doing it because I, I, I believe that. I mean, it'd be true. Timmy Hill would, should be the winner, in my opinion, of that race. I don't even know if he'd be able to make the playoffs. Timmy Hill would have won the race, probably, had they let him race back to the line anyway. I, I, I believe that. I think that would have been true. Yes, I, I 100% believe that. Um, but it was just, I, I don't. If you find something wrong with it at the track. Or if you find something wrong with it at the R&D Center, if you take that car back, throw them out. Simple as that. Okay. Josh says throw them out. I I still don't care about cheating as much as everybody else does. Anyway. It's not so much um, cheat. It's not cheating. It's that you, 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 I mean, it's a bummer. Again, I believe that whatever this problem was had zero effect on the outcome of the race. Had zero impact. But... If you're outside the rules, and you're outside the the grace zone, you're outside the grace zone, and you're outside the rules. Yeah, you're not sorry. wrong. Yeah. No, I I mean you're not wrong. I just my my whole thing is just like cheating is cheating. Cheating always happens in racing. Um, it does. It, it happens does. on every single car. The only reason we care is because these certain ones got caught. To me, uh, it's just. It's it's a bummer to me because it muddies up a feel good story, and yes, it does. And it doesn't even create and it, because it muddies up, it would if if they took the win away and gave it to Timmy Hill, it would create still create for an interesting storyline and a decent and an interesting story, but it wouldn't be as feel good as Clements just winning. But now it just all muddies it up, it puts an asterisk by that win, it yep. puts an asterisk by Clements' second career Xfinity win. <laughs> 
it's just a bummer. I wish they, I wish this wasn't a big deal. Mm-hmm. Um, 1%. But we'll see. Maybe, maybe he'll be able to point his way in. Cause isn't he still like on the cusp of maybe uh, he won't able be able to point himself in. in? No. He wasn't. I no. thought he was. Never mind. He's going to have I to hadn't win again. The, he's going to have to win again. Well, yeah. well, then that's, that is what it is. Um, how about this? This one got all of the old boomers on Facebook all angry with conspiracy theories on their heads. Uh, do you see any of these comments, Josh? Because they, I, I avoided them, but uh, I did not see any of these PR comments. I, I did not see any of these comments because uh, okay, I, yeah, I did, I didn't, I did not. I mean, to me, this was a very straightforward piece of news that makes one hundred percent sense. It's literally happened multiple times before in mm-hmm. NASCAR. It's nothing new. It's, this is nothing, it's new. nothing new. Um, it's maybe a bit it's different because of the circumstances, but it's really that this has happened multiple times before. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, uh, because the number 45 is officially in the Cup Series owner's points playoffs, mm-hmm. 2311 Racing has decided to swap Bubba Wallace and uh, Ty Gibbs' cars for the remainder of the 2022 season so that the 45 can have a better opportunity to go for the owner's uh, playoffs championship. Yeah, so, to, so, to clarify, so to clarify, Bubba's in the 45 for the rest of the year, and Ty Gibbs or whoever will be driving in place of Kurt Busch will be in the 23. Sounds like it will be Ty Gibbs for the rest of the year. Yes, I believe it will be Ty Gibbs the rest of the year. Who because else? Why, I why believe... would you put anyone else in there? It's not like Ty hasn't proven he can get the job done. He, yeah, has I, Ty, I was just saying I was just saying, I was just saying that, that, that he could be, and I do believe that I think him, them leaving him the, the rest of the year only indicates that Kyle Busch is not coming back. They're getting him reps early to get jump into the 18 car next year. 1%. Well, we'll, we'll see about that. Um, we'll see. We'll see about that. But my only thing about this is I'm, I want to, I want to just see if Bubba is able to get this thing into like the, the if Bubba gets this car into the championship four, I'm going to laugh because it's going to be like the, the, Drivers' final four and the owners' final four will be completely different. We'll have well, like one driver in and one driver out. Oh, well, I mean, right I don't now know if it'll it, happen. It'll be tough to have it happen. But well, he had a like, great oh, run uh, on Sunday, and I don't know. I mean, he's he has kept that car above the top twelve. Yeah, so that's good. Yeah, he did. He he kept it out of the elimination elimination zone after Darlington. He still got two races to go. Keep that thing yes. out of the elimination zone. And he was pretty fast at Kansas, and he's pretty good at Bristol. Just saying. He is pretty good at Bristol. That's right. I forgot how good he is. Well, that's because the problem is we only go to a proper Bristol one time a year now, so we can't really see, truthfully, how good Bubba is on Bristol anymore. We only get one chance a season to see it. It's a big bummer. You'd think NASCAR would want to capitalize on Bubba's popularity a little bit more and have him go to tracks he's better at. I mean, they had it made Atlanta super speedway, so he's doubled the opportunities he's got to win now if we could just go to a proper bristol maybe we could again double the opportunities he's got to win no keep adding all these road courses taking away opportunities for him to win and not going to proper tracks for bubba i don't know i like bubba don't don't get me wrong i like bubba i just it's one of those things like you know when i was a kid i knew which tracks casey kane was good at and which tracks he wasn't you know so i preferred the tracks he was good at to the tracks he wasn't good at. You know, I, you know, this was a weird time, but there was literally a time where super speedway racing was, ah, it's cool. It's fun, but I, I don't care. Cause the nine's nowhere near the front. <laughs> you know what I mean? 
It's like, yeah, it's nice, but eh. And then once once Casey started to get better at plate racing, I was like, all right, let's go. But that's the same deal. It's like, I'm sure Bubba fans are like, get all these road courses off the darn schedule already so Bubba can win more races. <laughs> go go to Michigan twice again, Bristol twice again. Um, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, it's fair. Oh, fair point. Oh, boy. All right. And then this is something good that I, in my opinion, at least, is good that happened. This is good. Uh, news. Due to team complaints and requests, NASCAR has extended the damaged vehicle policy clock from six minutes to 10 minutes for the next-gen car. Still six minutes in trucks and Xfinity, as far as I know. But yes, uh, for the Cup Series, it's now been extended to 10 minutes. Um, Denny Hamlin was slated to run this past weekend's Xfinity race at Darlington, but dropped out as he has still felt soreness from the crash at Daytona. So Christopher Bell raced the number 18 in the Xfinity Series uh, race at Darlington instead, which, boy, was a fun race. Um, and uh, let's also talk about that for a minute because there's been still more and more and more and more and more criticism over this next-gen car, over the safety elements of the next-gen car. Kevin Harvick was quite vocal about that. As and has we'll been. talk more about that later in the show, Rodney too. Rodney Childers, you're right, we will. But this is definitely going to – this is – there was a NASCAR man race uh, Twitter thread where he basically documented all of the issues with the next-gen car over the course of the season so far. And it, we're getting about every, an issue, an injury, a fire, or something at least every, if not ev- at least every other race at this point. Um, and that's not a rate that I'm very happy about. So coming up when we get to the upshift-downshift segment, we'll, we'll talk about that here a little bit. But uh, definitely keep that in mind. Get everybody right now, if you've got feelings about that, tweet at us. Hashtag Robin Roller at Robin Roller spelled just as it sounds. Let us know your feelings on the next gen car and how Denny Hamlin's decision not to run the Xfinity race on Saturday uh, maybe affected your opinion again even further on the next gen car. Uh, moving into the penultimate news article of the show uh, on September first, Kyle Busch told media that he hoped to have a decision within the next two weeks on where he will drive next season. And that he had, quote, multiple offers in front of him. Now, he also joked with the media saying that it was, you know, about 23%, 16%, 31%, 45% done deals, you know, dropping the car numbers of colleague racing and 2311 racing. Um, Who knows where Kyle's going to race next year? I have no idea. Josh, you seem to believe uh, he's not coming back to the 18. I don't think he's coming back to Toyota. Interesting. That's, that's my statement. You think really KBM's going, going to another manufacturer? 100%. Okay. This is not going to be Ford, is it? It's, I, I think it's going to be Ford or Chevrolet. I don't know if it'll be Ford. I'm thinking it's probably going to be Chevrolet. I mean, I would, I, would, I mean, I would lean towards more Chevrolet, but yeah. some people down here are saying Ford has re-entered the chat. Ford, you, you're hearing that? From, you know, your uncle's neighbor's grandpa, right? Something like that. Yeah. <laughs> Something like that. Good. That's that's usually how it goes. You know, you go, I'm, I, I'm sure it's the same, like, in Charlotte as it is here at Indy, where, you know, you, you meet a guy down there at Menards, and uh, he says his, you know, neighbor's uncle's grandpa knows Mario Andretti on a personal level. I'm sure down there you... Go to the cookout drive-thru, and whoever's working the drive-thru says their neighbor's uncle's grandpa knows Richard Petty and told him that Kyle Busch is going to drive the 42 next year instead of Noah Gregson or something. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. They bring it back the 44. Um, 
and uh, they're going to run that car instead. Uh, Kyle Busch is going to drive the number 44 STP Chevrolet. I don't, I don't know. I'm just making stuff up. Um, Austin Dillon will have a new crew chief next year. Bob Pockers has reported that Jace, Justin Alexander has made the decision to step down as the number three's crew chief at the end of the season. Uh, so probably we'll see. I, I, I don't know who will be the next crew chief for the number three, but we'll see. All, all Austin Dillon's wins have come with Justin Alexander in two different stints. So yeah, that's like, uh, okay. <laughs> interesting interesting but it sounds like it's it sounds like it's a lot of a great like similar to a greg ives deal where it's a personal decision yeah. and it's time to get off the road do something different and i think they mentioned during the race broadcast on nbc or usa excuse me that the grind was just too much for him yeah i mean too much yeah you're missing out on your kids growing up you got to get out of it while you can um i mean i get it i get it don't get me wrong i totally get it um, one last piece of note, news here before we move into the feature paint scheme. Just wanted to uh, give a quick little note on this in the feeder series news. Uh, we've got another F2 race ban. Roy Nissani has become the next driver to receive a race ban for the next Different. round at Monza. Uh, don't know who will replace him yet, but uh, I have. They apparently the rumors are that it will be a driver who ran in F2 last year. Don't know who that could be, but hey, Tatiana Calderon randomly just replaced uh a driver shoot i can't remember who the driver was but she was racing for trident this weekend that was interesting did not expect that to happen until and she was there last week too it was spa but still can't believe that happened (laughs) she's back in f2 you know you think she's graduated to indycar you know okay she's moved on to greener pastures then the indycar money falls through and next thing you know she's back in f2 and it's one of those things that where I'm sitting here being like, Tati, for real, just go to sports cars. You've got a solid future in that. You have potential in sports cars. I have seen you run in the top five and win races in class in sports cars. You can do this. You can do this. You don't have to take a backmarker F2 drive anymore. Um, that's it for the news today. Josh, we're going to move in right into our featured paint scheme, which is going to be a part two of the 2010 2010 NASCAR Sprint Cup Series. A uh, very fun season that was. Uh, switched from the old rear wing to the spoiler at Martinsville that year. That was always fun uh, because Carl Edwards and old Brad Keselowski flying in Atlanta, and they decided mm, we got to do something about this. Uh, and that was the last straw for them because when a car picks up and takes off at pre-reconfigured Atlanta, that's probably, uh, yikes, not a good thing. Um, yeah. You remember? Do you remember the sponsor though that Brad was driving? The it was called Flow TV. Do you have any re- recollection of that sponsor, Josh, at all? It was no, a exactly. Verizon Verizon looking car. It was a Verizon product, yeah, but it was a television service that basically ran on cellular like data waves. Like you could only use mm. the television on the go. And the service, basically, you paid for the the service. You paid for a month, the monthly for the service, and then you had to pay for the the device itself, and then additional devices. Obviously, it fell out of favor to me when it came out. As someone who loves television and loves the idea of watching television on the go, I loved it. But of course, it was 2010. I was 14, and well, quite honestly, I don't think they were going to let me buy that subscription, even if I asked. 
Uh, so I never had it, but uh, it would have been cool. Just about as cool as, uh, you know, having portable TVs back in the day. Nowadays, you got your my phone. You know, I pull up the YouTube TV app on my phone right there and problem solved. We've got all of that. You know, it's right there. It's right there. I could watch cable TV. I could watch any race anywhere I am. Um, I can watch the news. I can watch local news wherever I am traveling, you know, you know, but back then you had to, you, you, you know, if you want to watch TV, you got to carry this big old or lug around this TV in, 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 uh, you know, in your car and plug it in. Or, or if you were a smart guy and a rich guy, you got to the, uh, Sega game gear TV tuner that you plugged in and you had the giant, I'm going on a rant, but. Flow Flow TV was what sponsored Brad Keselowski in 2010, and I'm going on that because it was like an evolution of this idea of portable television, which has now fallen out of favor. You know, people don't typically, they don't need that anymore. It's all an app mm. on your phone. You know, you want portable TV, you don't need yep. it anymore. You just download the app on your phone, there you go. Uh, or who even watches television anymore? You know, you're not watching television. You're watching Netflix on your phone half the time. You're watching YouTube or something. I'm not, but other people are. Uh, but that that's a relic of its time, and it always reminds Every time I see pictures of that 2010 season, I see Brad Keselowski driving this Flow TV paint scheme. I just think about, man, that's a relic of the time. That's not my featured paint scheme this season, but I did want to talk about it because – Gosh darn it. When, Josh, when do I ever get to talk about my niches on this show? Almost every week. Who is your who is your featured paid scheme for this week? Because I think um perhaps did we um pick No, I didn't. I thought we picked uh paint schemes from the same race, but uh we didn't. No. But Josh, I, I'd like to hear all about yours because I still like this one that you've picked here. Yeah, so the first time around I picked the number 10 Gander Mountain Chevrolet, the Stavola Labonte racing car. Um, good looking car still. Uh, but this time around I'm picking, I'm going from a basically like a three off to a one off, from, but from a small team to a major team. Dale Earnhardt Jr.'s number 88 Amp Energy Juice Chevrolet. Um, it was the same base scheme as the Amp and National Guard schemes that he ran that year. Same base scheme. Um, but instead of green or blue on top and along the bottom, um, it was, it was orange. It was orange because Amp Energy Juice was colored orange. kind of like the, uh, not drawing any comparisons here whatsoever, but Mountain Dew, Livewire, orange color. Um, this, it just really popped. I remember watching it at Fontana and it was really just, you were able to pick Junior out of the crowd really, really easy. Um, and I feel like you usually could, especially in the green car, the amp car, but not necessarily the National Guard car. But this one just really, really popped, doesn't it? it looked good racing at Fontana. I don't know, orange and California go together, I guess, for some reason. Um, and I always wanted, I always like this one because I wish Amp did more special flavors throughout the year. I think if you're if you have a product, I know you kind of want to showcase your main one, but. I mean, your other products are over, like in the corner, like, "Hey, we're here too," you know. Anyways, I'm, um, uh, yeah, yeah. So I like that one. They really do. So it's just orange. Real simple explanation: white in the middle, orange on top. The numbers were still that red color that Junior ran. Um, so it's like I said, it was on Auto Club. He started twenty seventh, finished thirty second. 
12 laps down. I mean, this was like typical junior from 09 through 11. It was really, really rough to watch if you were a junior fan. So I uh, feel for you on that one. And Rob, what is yours? Because you picked uh, a few years ago when we did the first one, Kevin Conway's <laughs> extends Kev cars Conway. for uh, for multiple teams. Yeah, good old Kev Con was a fun one to pick from back then. Uh, but the one that I've picked is uh, one that is personally, in my humble opinion, one of my favorite like one-off paint schemes. It, it, ever it is a good one. Um, I actually do have the diecast of this, and I believe, I think, I think I'll make this. I'm making this decision now. I think I'll make this uh, my diecast Tuesday submission. So by the time you're you've listened to this podcast, we probably already put out the diecast Tuesday, and you'll know exactly what this car is because I have the diecast of it, and I think you know what I think. It should be our diecast, my diecast Tuesday submission. Michael Waltrip's number fifty-five, Aaron's fifty-fifth anniversary Toyota that he drove for his own team in twenty ten. This was during the period of time where the fifty-five was typically run by Prism Motorsports, and they had run the fifty-six for Martin Truex at this point. They had switched that over. The fifty-five was the owner points was sold to Prism, I believe, and it was all all different like that, but. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so Michael Waltrip ran this car, and um, I'll say this: uh, it's a beautiful car. It's it's blue and it's gold, and it's it's this really it's this dark kind of royal blue, uh, not purple, very very blue, um, mm-hmm. and it's it the gold on it is just beautiful. I I love the gold on this car. It makes me. Oh, I, I, it just makes me feel things, how great this car is. Uh, and, and now Michael Waltrip in 2010 um, made uh, about a handful of starts here. Let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, six starts, um, or attempted six races, only qualified for four of them. Uh, and this Talladega race was one of the two out of four that he actually finished, the first one being the Daytona 500, where he finished 18th. He finished 28th at Talladega in this paint scheme, driving for his own team. So uh, overall, this is, again, a fun little one to talk about, and it's cool that I have the diecast of this. Uh, if you saw my last diecast Tuesday submission, the 2009 David Gilliland Farm Bureau Insurance um Toyota. That's a gem that I have that's really cool. And I'm really it's one of like the cooler things that I own personally. I think I, you're gonna like my diecast Tuesday submission this week as well. I know you're by the time again you're listening to this, you may have already seen it, but I think Rob, you'll like mine too. Like you like mine. Remember to uh follow hashtag diecast Tuesday where you can see all of our uh diecasts and what we post josh and i have substantial diecast collections of both 124 and 164 race cars um some of them been opened most of them for josh's have not mine will have because they're all from my childhood and i opened them up please don't hurt me collectors um and i still open them up just to piss you all off let's talk about the upshift downshift let's go into that uh because we've got some very controversial topics to discuss today and i think it's going to be interesting twitter is all over one of these topics so it's going to be fun um upshift downshift again is our uh is our discussion segment of the show we upshift if we agree we downshift if we disagree 
We can't throw it into neutral if we don't feel one way or the other. This is always a fun thing to do. We'll ask ourselves a series of hypothetical questions and or statements, and you at home can play along as well. Use the hashtag RobinRoller to shift your way, or also be sure if you're a Spotify listener or Spotify user, you can check out the Spotify question of the week and upshift right on your Spotify app. Don't do it while you're driving, but if you're not driving, just listening to us while you're working something, you can go ahead and give us your answer right there on the app. So without further ado, let's go ahead and jump right into the upshift and downshift segment. First upshift downshift segment question of the show. Hedrick Motorsports should put a near full-time effort together in the Xfinity series in 2023 along with its cup drivers. Do you upshift or downshift this, Josh? I think they should. I upshift. I think it should be very interesting. Um, the car is utterly strong each and every race, and to have Alex Bowman, William Byron, Chase Elliott, and Kyle Larson all run this car for their five allotted races, they have 22 races to pick from in the regular season, or excuse me, 21 races to pick from in the regular season. Out, out of the 20 there, again, they're allotted because they can't race the regular season finale race and they can't race the four dash for cash races. So I think this is a fantastic, it, plus it's, it's great marketing for them too, right? And also you can get those extra, those, those cup sponsors a little extra exposure too if you throw them on like the rear a quarter panel and HendrickCars.com on the front or whatever, you know, I, 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 I like it. It's been exciting to see that 17 car out there uh, this year and the handful of races it has been in. So, and then have the surprise visit at Darlington, which wasn't originally scheduled was, was great to see. So I upshift and plus it's another great car. Um, For me, this is kind of interesting because as I've always said, I never minded cup drivers down in the Xfinity series a stiff especially if it made sense especially if it's hold sponsorship especially since for the most part it did attract more fans because like I've always said you know an Xfinity race is cheaper than a cup race if you're going to want to go to a NASCAR race on a budget and you want to go see the NASCAR you're the guys who would run on Sunday there's a there was a period of time where there was a good chance that you could go to the Xfinity race or the nationwide race or the Bush race whatever it was called at the time on on Saturday and and see the same guys you'd see on Sunday, but for about half half the price, you know. Uh, and and I always felt like that was a good enticing deal, a good way to sell those tickets to that Xfinity Series race. That you know those races that typically you know wouldn't be you know high high sellout events. You know places with packed grandstands, anything. Because let's not you know as great as the Xfinity race was at Darlington, didn't look like very many people were there. You know. Um, and that's a shame. That's a real big, big shame because I think, you know, especially at a track like Arlington, I think. I think the, I think that the front, they, they only open the middle grandstand there. For oh, the that would race. Do it. So they don't open up the turn four grandstand or the turn one. As I was there in the spring and I know that this way it was then. So unfortunately. Well, know. even then the front stretch didn't, was, was looking pretty sparse even before the rain. So. Oh, maybe they sell the rain coming too, but yeah, it, again, yeah, you get the you get that cup talent in there. It's going to bring more people. Overall, on where I shift, though, I just have to ask myself: is it is it worth it for Hendrick? You know, what what is the benefits? Where where do they gain from putting money into this? If it's just for their cup guys to run extra experience, like I feel like it, there has to be, it has to be used at some point for some kind of development. I mean, I'm not opposed to getting cup guys in there. I don't care. I like I said, I don't care, but. Usually with those things, I mean, what's the point when all your development goes through junior motorsports anyway? 
or unless Mr. H wants to have more of a hand in, in picking these drivers, you know, that would be the only thing, or Jeff Gordon now, whoever's calling the shots. I don't know who's calling the shots up there now. But if they want to, like, have a say in, 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 in this instead of Junior, then may, then I can see that being a case. But otherwise, I, I don't see what purpose it shows. It's, it just seems like an extra Junior Motorsports car is running out there. Well, it's actually a Junior Motorsports prepared car, believe it or not. It but, is. It is. So uh, what's, I mean, what's the point? I think it's just I think it's just more reps on the track. I think yes, the cars are inherently drive different, but I, I they're don't built think, differently. They ca- they're different yeah. parts. That's entirely I, I, I a think different setup. That Kyle Larson wouldn't say I want to go drive the Xfinity car at Darlington if he didn't see a benefit from it. Okay. And I don't think he'd say the same thing. Like you had, they there was that talk where like there was these these competitions between the Cup drivers or what road courses they were going to race at who's going to get which one because they wanted to the experience. I get that the cars are completely different now. And for now they are going to remain completely different, but I, I mean, yes, it's a marketing win for, for Hendrick and their partners, but there's nothing ever wrong with learning a bump and two here. Um, learning how the track wears uh, tires and, how that feels, so I, I think that's all. That's always a benefit, especially today when you have limited practice. This is a whole extra race of practice for them. And that's a good point, especially about the limited practice. The fact of the matter is, NASCAR doesn't seem to like the idea of giving us hour-long practice sessions anymore, or even hour and a half-long practice sessions. They don't seem to like. I don't know. I want to see it. I wish yeah. that, you know we could come home on a Friday night and just watch, you know, six, seven hours straight of practice and qualifying, but NASCAR doesn't want to give that to us anymore because stupid reasons. I don't know. Um, let's get on to the next one here. This will be fun. This is going to be the, the big, the big one. Uh, the FIA should grant Colton Herta a super license waiver, allowing him to race the Alpha Towery in 2023. Do you upshift or downshift this, Josh? I downshift. They shouldn't. I think it's one of those deals where, you know, to kind of put it simply, I, I think this is just opening up a can of worms. I don't think they should dig down. I don't think anyone in the state side or anyone who's pro putting an American in the car should get mad if they say no, because they're not going to be denying him because he's an American. If they are, that's a problem. But I don't think they should grant him a waiver because it's just. All right, we want to bend the rules here. Well, if you bend the rules here, that, that allows that next time you want to bend the rules to bend it even easier and, and, and so on and so on down the line. Um, I think this is something the FIA needs to put the foot down and say, we're not going to grant a waiver. We are going, but we will adjust how many super license points an IndyCar driver earns for participation, wins, and championships and, exp- and overall experience. Um, you know, I, I don't know where comparatively a Joseph Newgarden is on super license points. I would hope he has clear. He's got two championships and gosh, I mean, I'm pretty he sure he's got enough. I mean, Him, I think he's got enough. He's got enough. I think from what yeah. I understand, but I feel like Colton Herta also at the same time should probably have it, the super license points as well. I know he has what five or six wins. He doesn't have a championship, but I feel like he's competed at a high enough level and he hasn't driven around in 22nd, his entire career. He has competed for wins and he's competed for a championship or two here. 
um, that he should have those licenses, but they should not grant him a waiver just basically on principle. So I downshift. My shifting is just simply put, the super license point system is garbage. Get rid of it. Get rid of it. The whole reason that the super license system was put in was because Max Verstappen got promoted to Formula One at the age of 17, and the FIA threw a fit about that. And then when Lance Stroll got in there, they threw an even bigger fit, and they decided, nope, these guys don't have enough experience, even though clearly they can handle an F1 car with no problem. They don't have enough experience. So we're going to put some kind of artificial barrier to entry so that people who maybe aren't don't have generational talent like Verstappen or tons and tons of daddy's money like Stroll could get into Formula One. It's just ridiculous. There's no reason for the super license system. It was fine before the super license system, and it's been nothing but problematic ever since. The super license system, like I said, is nothing more than the Max Verstappen rule, and it's time to get rid of it because it was designed to stop Verstappen because at the time they were all worried about Verstappen being too young for this. And, well, look where it turned out. Verstappen wasn't too young. He was just right. Red Bull was smart. They knew exactly what he was doing. He was ready for the call-up, and he's done fine. Has Stroll had the same similar situation as, as Verstappen? No. But to be honest with you, Stroll is is better than Latifi. In fact, I'd say he's better than most of the other backmarkers that have come through F1 that have had super license points. You know, I shoot, man, I don't freaking care. I don't think this it, it it's it's gatekeeping. It's gatekeeping at its finest. It gatekeeps those from Formula One who have the talent but don't have the money, or it gatekeeps people who have the money and have the opportunity and have the will and have everything but are just too young you know in my opinion darn it if a 17 year old phenom is out there and gets a chance at formula one like max verstappen did what the heck is the problem if he goes out there and wrecks the whole field on his first race okay there's a problem but it's not like that happens it's not like that's going to happen it didn't happen with verstappen it didn't happen with stroll and it won't happen with herda there's absolutely no reason to have this super license system in the first place. So why do we even have it? If you want, if you ask my opinion, I don't care if they waive it. In fact, I hope they do waive it because then, at the very least, Colton Herta will be able to go over there and show people that hey, IndyCar is just as good. I IndyCar is just as fine. You know, I don't like the idea either that they treat IndyCar as less than F2, which is ridiculous in and of itself. Oh, you win couple of races f2 or you win the championship you get automatically put into f1 but you win an indycar title and that doesn't get you enough super license points or it barrel just barely gets you enough like what the heck's that kind of logic you're gonna sit here and tell me that an indycar championship a professional championship that's you know it's a spec series but it's not at the same time is less prestigious than a stepping stone to Formula One, something that is directly marketed as a feeder series and not a top echelon of motorsports that runs its own prestigious uh, uh, leg of the crown jewel of motorsports, of the triple crown of motorsports. You're kidding me. You're absolutely kidding me on that. There's no reason anymore for the stupid super license system. There was no reason for it when they invented it all the way back in 2016 whenever they decided Verstappen was too young or whatever you know it it's just unnecessary it's time to get rid of it if hurt is good enough if the owners of f1 because look again red bull red bull evaluated max 
And they said, he, yep, this guy's good enough for Formula 1. Now he's a world champion. He's got tons and tons of wins. He's probably going to be a two-time world champion by the end of this season. What the heck's the difference? You're telling me Red Bull can't evaluate talent? I think if they've evaluated Colton Herta and said, this guy's good enough to ride an Alpha Tallery, then darn it, they're going to do it. And darn it, he's not going to be a detraction to the series. So that's where I am. I'm downshifting entirely. Well, actually, I'm upshifting. I'm upshifting and I'm downshifting at the same time. I'm upshifting that he should be waived, the requirement should be waived, but I'm downshifting that the super license system should even be around, period, anymore. All right. Next question here. The lack of tire fall-off kept the Cookout Southern 500 from being a great race. Do you upshift this or downshift this, Josh? You know, I was there, and I really I didn't have any data in front of me, um, live race data in front of me, but on the way home, reading stuff, I actually think, so I think this is true. Um, lack of tire fall off kept it from being a great race. Um, so I upshift. It, it, you had passing. It was difficult. But when you look at tire fall off time wise compared to the Xfinity race on Saturday or even the Xfinity race in May and truck race in May, there was something to be desired as far as you brought two too hard of a tire and therefore you didn't have a sliding around there was definitely you know, I was sitting in turn four it just seemed like there was new ways to defend it was easier to defend it wasn't you weren't able to get those big run-ins except maybe if you were on fresh tires and brave that was just from a person who literally had said the same point of view didn't really have an aerial point of view television shot of it but i i do upshift so i'm interested to hear what you say rob about it uh my humble opinion on it was that uh no i downshift i think it was it was a good race i thought it was a great darlington produces great nascar races no matter what and even if there's not as much tire fall off as there was in the xfinity series race i still felt like there was more tire fall off than the average cup series race period and so for me i liked that and enjoyed that just because the tires had a little bit longer life to them, I don't necessarily think that that affected the overall quality of the race. It's still tough to pass at Darlington no matter what kind of car you're in there. And that adds to the allure of the Southern 500 in that it's it's an endurance race. It's a race of attrition. It's a race where it's difficult to make up positions. You know, you have to run basically the the perfect race to win the Southern 500. Um, you have to be a little bit lucky. You have to be in the right place at the right time, and you have to be quick. But you also have to, have to, you know, you have to survive. You, you have, have to, to survive there. the race. You have to be yeah. at the end, and and that's the thing. So, I I don't I don't necessarily want to see a bunch of people cutting tires or blowing tires or spinning out at the end of a at the end of a long run. That's not necessarily what I want to see. If guys are making it to the end of their stint and pitting and, and the tire fall off isn't as bad as maybe it could be i mean i'm not upset about that obviously yes i think if there's a way to make the tires fall off maybe a bit a little bit more into a long run that would be great but as of right now i wouldn't sacrifice what we had because i felt like like i said i thought the quality of the race was really good I mean, it kept my engagement. It kept my attention. It was the race a- was good too. I, I I just felt like it was missing a little something. And maybe it was. Maybe compared to the Xfinity race, maybe I think if you're comparing it to that, 
you could say it was missing a lot, but I mean, I look at that the Xfinity race and the cup race and my expectations for both were different. Um, the Xfinity race was, the expectations were a lot higher than the cup race. Um, not to say that I had low expectations for the cup race for that by any means. No, I knew it was going to be a good show and it ended up being that, but you know, I, I didn't think that more tire wear would have necessarily made me enjoy it. Or, you know, if Eric Jones had not been able to hold off Denny Hamlin, or if Tyler Reddick had been able to pass both of them or, you know, it didn't. It didn't really affect me one way. I felt like there was enough attrition overall, not just with, not outside of tires. You know, with with the Gibbs cars blowing up, with Harvick's fire. You know, with with it general mechanical wear and tear on these cars from it being a long race. I don't really. I didn't really feel like you needed to throw extra tire wear in there to really make it more exciting or add more wrenches into the race. Or, affect more strategy or add more attrition what have you i felt like it was it was fine as is can they improve on it maybe can they add more tire fall off could they make maybe a little bit of a softer tire yeah absolutely i think they could but i if they don't change it for for the next race in the spring it's not gonna it's not gonna affect me too much it's not gonna break make or break whether or not i'm still gonna get excited for darlington it's darlington it's it's basically the perfect NASCAR track. I I don't think that any NASCAR series could put on a bad race at Darlington right now. I, I think it's genuinely impossible, even if they tried. <laughs> I mean, at some point, something exciting would happen just because it's 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 Darlington, and it, that's how the track is. Um, let's move on here to the next question. We've already briefly talked about this. We've kind of thrown out some possibilities, some what ifs earlier in the show. But the next question here for the upshift downshift is. Pierre Gasly, will he be driving for Alpine in 2023? How are you shifting on that, Josh? Man. I I think it's between him and, well. Now, I've heard some is this, people advocate for Mick now. I, I think I, I'll, go, I'll go three drivers and then a fourth wildcard driver that I feel like is just sort of my own mind creating a situation. Um, I think Pierre's one. I think Daniel Ricardo is one. I think Mick is one. And this would be awfully crazy. And don't shoot me. This is just one of those crazy situations. If you promise someone an F1 ride... Could McLaren loan out Alex Pillow? I'm just that's a that's a crazy theory. It's an exceptionally crazy theory. I think I think Pierre when they get through the all all the interviews, Pierre will be one of the last two to get like kind of a second round of interviews, if you will. I'm going to, however downshift because I just there's the, the number of other drivers I think they're looking at and then compared to him, if it was just him and Mick I would upshift but there's a couple other drivers and like while silly season is being too wild for me to just com- completely say yep he's going to drive for Alpine next year and I think Alpha Tower is very satisfied with him at the moment so they would love to have a Pierre Gasly and a Colton Herta racing uh, together if that would 
that was good, the case. So I'm going to downshift for now, just because I just I just can't I just can't commit to an upshift. Um, I think that's fair, but for me personally, I think I'm going to upshift. I think that's pretty pretty clear. That's a better ride than Alpha Tauri right now. Um, just based on a lot of things, I think you go to Alpine. There's especially without Fernando there anymore. I think there's a lot less holding Alpine back uh, from from themselves. Not to say that Fernando was holding them back, but I think if you get some young blood in there along with Ocon, I think that'll really help elevate the team. Um, so I think someone like Gasly, someone who is, I believe, friends with Ocon. I mean, think about that. That's an all-French team then. That's a yeah. French team with an all-French lineup. I mean, yep. doesn't it make sense? If you really want to like push that, that team's identity and really make that team something that people care about, really kind of push push that. I mean, I don't know if that's going to happen, if that's what Alpine wants, but the way I see it, I think it'd be a good move for all parties involved because at that point, Alpha Tauri gets to go and pick if they want Colton Herta and plop him into that ride. They don't have to give Sonoda the boot yet just yet. They could give him another season if they want to. Um, and and I would hope that Gasly would have an opportunity to not to say that he's not finishing in the points now, but maybe finish higher in the points. But get you know, grab some top fives, top sixes rather than, you know, some eighth, ninth, tenth. You know, you want to be further up there in the points if you can sniff that podium. Uh and I would I would think personally that going to Alpine would give Pierre Gasly that opportunity. It's he's proven that he can win an F1 Grand Prix, and it's been proven that Alpine can win an F1 Grand Prix. They've both done it within the past two years. So I'm I'm upshifting. I think I think it's very possible that Gasly ends up with Alpine next year, and I think for all all things considered and all parties involved, I think that would probably be the best the best outlook for that for that move and that that team and and like I said, everybody. Um, so let's move on here to our next question. Which is Sheldon Creed scores a victory at Kansas or Bristol to win his way into the Xfinity Series playoffs. You think this is going to happen, Josh? I downshift. I don't. Um, I look at the speed of Junior Motorsports alone, and I just think that's a lot to overcome. He's had some good weekends here recently. Um, that is that is for sure. But I, I think he's going to have a lot to contend with 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 the Seven, eight, and nine in particular. That's that's going to be a, that's going to be a high road. And then you throw Gibbs in there. He's been stellar uh, as of late, and uh, yeah, a lot to overcome. And uh, I know it's kind of like well, you're taking four against the other thirty-four drivers out there, thirty-three if you don't count Creed. But I, I, I've got to stick with those guys. So I'm going to downshift. I think Creed, Sheldon Creed, is going to miss the playoffs. You know, as as much as I, <laughs> excuse me, sorry, Josh, can you talk for a minute? Yeah, uh, let's talk. Uh, I I think myself with with Creed, it's just RCR just just is not just not fast enough right now. So if 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 they're gonna win, they're gonna have to have a, a big strategy play a huge strategy play to win either of those races and it's kind of kind of be like a, a tire deal where a caution comes out and they had a spare spare tire set of wheels in the in the in the, in, uh, the pit box so 
Thanks for covering for me. Got a coughing fit there for a minute. Um, I'll be honest with you here. I think that um, I think that you're right, Josh. This is one of the ones that I think I'm going to have to agree with you. Uh, I think it's. I think Darlington was Sheldon Creed's best chance, and mm-hmm. not to say that he didn't give it at all. His all. I mean, truthfully, he had that race won until about what the final 500 feet, maybe. Um, yeah. And and so I I don't think that you can. He had that race one if Kyle Larson wasn't in the picture, but Kyle Larson <laughs> was just so fast. That's true. Creed, Creed had Gregson covered, but Larson had the better car. Mm-hmm. It was a fun race, first of all. It was, it was a, a fun race. race. Yeah. Um, it, was, it was easily one of the most fun Xfinity races at Darlington I've seen in about a year. <laughs> so I think the, the last fun Xfinity race I saw at Darlington was last year and the year before that. <laughs> it's funny how that yeah, works. Think, yeah. It's funny how that works, that it seems like the Xfinity Rate series at Darlington is really good. Man, it's almost like it's almost like low downforce and tire wear makes for good racing. Wow. What a thought. It's almost like NASCAR's almost there. The Cup series at least. It's almost there. Not but I'm completely contradicting my earlier um shift. But anyway, oh more to that point. <laughs> I think I, I still say. I I think it's I think it's going to be tough for Creed. I think it's going to be tough at this point. Um, Darlington was his best shot. I think Kansas and Bristol are just not to say that I don't think he has the capability to win, but he's going to need a lot of luck on his side. He's going to need to have uh, the fastest car on, on the grid, um, or he's going to need something lucky to happen to him at Bristol. Like he's going to need to be running third and have the the leaders take each other out in turn three. You know, he's going to need to have that happen, mm-hmm. um, just like what happened in the cup race in the uh, spring on the dirt. He's going to need to have that happen, plain and simple. Um, or, like I said, drive the absolute race of his life. Um, but you know what? I, I don't think he has anything to hang his head on if he doesn't make the, the playoffs this season. The Xfinity Series is really, 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 really competitive. You've um, got, yeah, you've got a power 12 cars out there plus a couple part-timers that are good and then a pretty decent midfield so yeah and and look at where rcr has been i mean they're they have won titles in the past but they took some time off there but in between reddick's titles you know um so i think that it's all about maybe potentially rebuilding that team um and, and kind of remaking that team into a championship contending uh, team, which I think that they can achieve with both Austin Hill and Sheldon Creed. It's just yeah. maybe it's not this year. Yes, Hill is locked into the playoffs via two wins, but even then, I don't think he's a playoff favorite by any means. No. I mean, he could win Talladega, but is he going to make it deep in, in at at uh, Phoenix? That's uh, tough. That's going to be a tough ask for Austin Hill. Um, that's that's, that's just one- where I'm at. Yeah, it's going to be a tough to replicate that first season in trucks. <laughs> you know, exactly. Like, that's going to be ex- exceptionally tough. Not to say that he can't, because like I said, he has won races this season. He has done very well, as has Sheldon Creed. Yeah. Um, I, actually, I thought Austin Hill, when he made his first cup appearance in an R&D car for RCR, I thought he was not bad in that appearance, because like I said, I was at that race in Michigan. You know, he was keeping up with, you know, the, the rear of the rear end of the field. He was ahead of... Um, you know, a lot of those, you know, he's ahead of the Spires, he was ahead of the Rick Wares, he was ahead of 
well, who wasn't ahead of PJ McLeod's car, but uh, you know, he was he was doing pretty well. He was he was ahead of the well the FRM cars before they crashed out. Um, you know, he he's a good guy, but Sheldon Sheldon's just gonna need some help substantially here. Uh, but like I said, nothing to hang his head upon. I think he's had a good first season in Xfinity. Um, next question here. How about this? How about this? What do you think about this? The 2022 IndyCar champion will be a first-time champion. So I think the only first-time champion that it can be is Marcus Erickson. Scott McLaughlin, I think, is within. And McLaughlin, yeah. It is. It has, has mathematical potential, I believe. Mathematical. So McLaughlin and Erickson. I... I'm gonna go first just because I think this is easy. I'm I'm downshifting. Laguna Seca is a too. terrible track. Laguna Seca is a terrible track for the to host the, the championship on. Uh, the championship period, no matter what, should always be in an oval. The fact that IndyCar doesn't end another championship on an oval of any kind is pathetic. I don't. At this point, I literally wouldn't care if it was a short oval. At, at if it was Milwaukee, if it was freaking anything, but Laguna Seca. I mean, you can go to Laguna Seca if you want. Just don't make it the the finale of, of the season because this there's no potential there's nothing riding on this it's basically as soon as the the, the problem is this is what's going to happen when we get to Laguna Seca is we're going to see the qualifying and then based on who out qualifies who whether it's you know Power McLaughlin Dixon Newgarden whoever's qualified higher than those as long as they don't make a mistake on pit road or make a mistake out on the track that's pretty much probably going to be how they're going to finish because you're not going to pass uh, at Laguna Seca unless you go off the track. That's that's just it's 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 the way things are, and it's exactly why Laguna Seca is a terrible track to host your season finale. Portland would have been a better track to host your season finale on. At least there you can actually pass, which is where we saw Seca. You can't pass Laguna. You you just can't. And I, yeah, okay, it's great to putting all this these renovations into it, and the, the 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 city of Monterey is willing to help out and everything. Great. Why don't you go? Focus on getting motorcycles back there and more sports car races because that's what really is good at Laguna Seca, not IndyCar racing, not IndyCar racing. So honestly, I, I don't think so. I'm downshifting. I think it's going to be Will Power because he's probably going to get the pole and win and Newgarden, Dixon, McLaughlin are just going to hang around third, fourth, and fifth and not really have a chance at challenging him. Um, I I just don't see it happening. Yeah, I... I cannot see a world where the top three all have issues, so I downshift for that reason alone on top of everything else you said. I don't have anything else to add there because uh, I also echo the Opal comment. I echo the Logan Sega comment. So. People yeah. ragged on Sonoma and said there wasn't enough places to pass, but I'll be honest with you. There were way more places to pass at Sonoma. Even on that, I could, I could think of two right off the bat, maybe even three right off the bat that were solid passing zones at that Sonoma layout that actually made for an exciting championship battle. I remember in 2015, that year that Dixon and Montoya tied, uh, that was actually a fun championship battle. Mm -hmm. And here we go, and it's like we go to Laguna Seca, and you don't see that anymore because back then, Dixon was passing cars, Montoya was getting passed, and that's what made the difference. Here at Laguna Seca, you're not going to see cars passing at all except on pit road. Yeah. So, like you said, unless one of these guys makes a mistake, which is just not going to happen because they drive for the best teams, and Ganassi and Penske don't make mistakes, and in, and when they do, they're few and far between, and they're definitely not when there's a championship on the line. 
Do you see anybody else but Power winning this championship? Because quite honestly, I don't. I, I understand that there's four guys mathematically, maybe five guys still mathematically eligible to win this title. But be, if if it was at a track like California, I would probably say, yeah, anything can happen. But since it's at Laguna Seca, I think the championship's already done and dusted, and I think this final race is just a formality at this point. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, second to last question here. What do you think? What did you think? What? Where are you shifting on uh, Kevin Harvick's quote "crappy ass parts" comment that he made post race following his exit of the Cookout Southern Five Hundred? I'll read the quotes here before Josh gives his shifting answer. This is what uh, Kevin Harvick said. I'm quoting. Quote, I'm sure it's just crappy parts on the race car like we've seen so many times. They haven't fixed anything. It's kind of like the safety stuff. We just keep let keep we just let it keep going and going. The car started burning as it burned. The flames started coming through the dash. I ran a couple of laps and then as the flame got bigger, uh it started burning stuff up. And I think right there you see all the brake fluid that was probably coming out of the brakes and part of the brake line, but the fire was coming through the dash. What a disaster for no reason. We didn't touch the wall. We didn't touch a car. And here we are in the pits with a burned up car and we can't finish the race during the playoffs because of crappy ass parts. I mean, the the comments kind of speak for themselves, right? I think right now the drivers are going to get really vocal here. Um, I haven't heard anything else on Cody Ware. He said he was hurt. Uh, he wasn't feeling good when he crashed there at the end of the race. Um, and we obviously have a driver out with a concussion. We had several drivers complain about soreness from Daytona. It, 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 whether it's a safety part or whether it's a longevity of a car part... It's not good. So, I mean, I upshift, I upshift him being so vocal because he, right now, is probably one of five drivers who are willing, not who can and should, but are willing to speak up and, and say, I dare you to find me over this, these comments. Because if I'm a driver and I feel this strongly about something, I'll take the fine and I'll come back around and I'll be like, you know what? I'll just double down. I'll say it again. I'll go even further. Because if you're going to find me for speaking my opinion about, A, the quality of the race car and my race results, but but more importantly, B, the safety, good for, good for Kevin. That was his TV interview. His, his non-TV interview was a little more verbal and a little more direct and a little more um sour i think that's a good word so if you haven't seen that video i think you'll look it up and sure it's circulating out there with a, amongst a couple different journalists so yeah not a I, I upshift his i upshift his willingness to say those comments by downshift he's got to say it um for me personally, I just want to say uh, good on journalists for actually asking these questions. Um, we need more people to ask these questions about the safety of these cars. We need to have more drivers on the record saying what Kevin Harvick is saying, saying what Denny Hamlin is saying, saying what um, you know what needs to be said about these cars. Uh, the fact of the matter is, I I every with every single race that passes, 
it becomes more and more clear to me that these cars might not be 100% safe. Um, and that worries me because Kevin Harvick's comments here do echo the fact that, you know, NASCAR prides itself on having no driver fatality since Dale Earnhardt. But so, but, you know, F1 did the same thing on Ayrton Senna until Jewel Bianchi died. And then it was all like, oh, crap, now how do we be proactive? How do we be proactive? How do we actually develop safety? And then we got the halo. What we're seeing here is NASCAR, again, there's all these safety issues happening. Certain drivers, like Kevin Harvick, like Denny Hamlin, are willing to call it out and say it, call a spade a spade, and say, hey, flat fact of the matter is these cars are too stiff. Um, these cars are burning up. These parts are crappy. Um, the front, these front, the car's not giving enough. I see, I've seen some crappy of the Crappy toe links. Huh? Crappy yeah, toe yeah. links. And, and we talk about these fires, you know, I, I didn't realize it until Rodney Childers was pointing it out on, on Instagram and then on, on, on Twitter. I don't know if anybody's seen any of that, but, um, it, it didn't occur to me, but he, he is right. All of the fires that are starting in these cars are starting in the same area and they're starting from the same reason. And they're happening almost every week. You know, I remember when I went to the Michigan race and I saw Cole Custer's car blow up and, and go up in complete flames. And everybody was standing around like, what was going on? Well, when they, and I, I remember because he pitted, his pit was like right in front of where I was sitting at the time. So I could see, and there didn't look to be a lot of rush on the crew, obviously, because they knew that the, their day was done anyway, regardless. But once they got the fire out, they started looking underneath the hood, and and the engine didn't look like it had taken it. It looked it didn't look like it was an engine fire, is what I mean. Clearly, it was a fire that developed uh, inside the brake ducts, brake ducts in or separately from the engine, and that's what I think you're seeing here. Is is these fires are starting, and it's not because of the engine; it's because of the way the car is built and certain flaws that the car has. And Rodney Childers put an Instagram reel out where he was kind of explaining this, um, where, you know, de desi desiring betterly, better insulated cars. Um, also talking about guys having knocked crush panels out when they knock crush panels out, basically the car heats up immediately in there. Um, I can't remember. I think it was Kyle Larson. I, I want to say he said it after both the Xfinity and the cup race. That when he got into the wall, he knocked crush panel out. Basically, just it became way too hot in the car. And I well, know that the Xfinity, the Xfinity car, the tire, I think, knocked the flat tire, knocked the the crush panel out. Okay, of the top. That's what I thought because I knew it happened in, for for Larson in both races, yeah. where basically the crush panel got knocked out. But the, it had different results in the Xfinity in the Cup Series. And that's where it was worrying me was because in the Xfinity Series, you know, he was able to continue on. Obviously, Gregson, Gregson got a little bit sick from something a little bit similar. But, um, you know, but it, it, it does, especially with guys talking about cool suits failing, you know, stuff like that. I mean, if you're running this Southern 500, let's, let's be glad we were running it at night. You know, if you were running this Southern 500 during the day at like, high noon at three or at three o'clock and it let's say it's like you know 80 85 degrees there you know it's the last day of summer your cool suit goes out and you knock the crush panel out because you get a little darlington stripe now you're now you're looking at a situation where the driver is no longer in safe inside the car 
with minimal damage. You know, you're looking at situations where you can put the driver at risk even when they have minimal damage, not just when they slam the wall in a 150, 180 mile an hour accident. Now, even giving it a kiss to the wall, knocking the crush panel out and having their cooling suit fail could basically could potentially kill somebody. It's ridiculous. Where I'm going on Harvick, Harvick's right. NASCAR seriously needs to go over and look at this this next gen and actually do something because it doesn't seem like they're they're actively doing anything. It it seems like they're just waiting for someone to actually get seriously injured and not just be concussed for the rest of the season, but like it seems like they're literally waiting for somebody to get injured to the point of not being able to walk, not being able to stand. I mean, I I, I shouldn't be laughing, but it's so upsetting and pathetic to me that NASCAR just seems competent to let this happen. And then you see last week, Denny Hamlin's making these comments to the media and the press. And then as soon as the press starts asking these questions about the safety of the car, of course, the NASCAR official goes in, the NASCAR PR guy goes in and cuts out the interview and, and, and ends the interview because we can't have Denny Hamlin saying anything about how potentially the car could be dangerous. No. Um, but good on the reporters for actually asking the question, and I genuinely hope that everybody else in that media scrum continues to ask those hard questions week in and week out and basically ask everybody who will listen and everybody who will give them an answer, are these cars safe and do you feel safe in them? Because when I see Daniel Suarez take a big hit at Daytona and see as much of his body move inside the car as I do and then go back and look at some vicious violent accidents in the gen six and see their cars not move the bodies not move nearly as much as suarez did i'm starting to think these cars aren't safe and i'm starting to think that the drivers are absorbing more of the energy than they're used to and that's why they're hurting so bad and i I, again i don't want to outright say these cars are unsafe but it's getting harder and harder for me to say that they're not because there's so much mounting evidence every single week that there's something very wrong with these cars I don't know if you have a, a a rebuttal to that, or you agree, or. I mean, I agree. I, 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 yes, I, I, I agree. I, I think there's. I'm sure there's internal discussions going on, and it's it's tough to walk back comments. You know, hey, this this car is safe, and then to say we're working on it. That is an incredible especially when you tout yourself on being so safe and, and, and arguably being maybe the safest form of motorsports in the world. It is, it's, they're in a difficult position, but I think it's at a point where, you know, you kind of gotta, you gotta be upfront with the issue because then you're going to, because you gotta think too, if they come out and say, well, the geese cars aren't safe. Then the next question is to why are you racing? Yeah. Right. So what are you going to do? Just cancel the rest of the season? This is, these are things that are going to happen behind closed doors. And we're going to find the information out that there are, their progress is being made through the drivers, through crew chiefs like Rodney Childers, who have the freedom to talk, who have the, and feel safe to talk about it. Um, by saying, yep, yeah, I think we these new parts or these new developments are, are, are a step in the right direction in NASCAR. It isn't going to actively speak about that. So that, yeah, a tough situation to be in, but good, again, good for Kevin speaking out against it. Speak it up against right. it. Let's end up shift downshift on another conspiracy theory, Josh. How about this? 
Do you upshift or downshift the conspiracy theories that Red Bull orchestrated Yuki Tsunoda's issues in order to help Max Verstappen win the Dutch Grand Prix? This is the dumbest thing all weekend long. I downshift. I can't believe you put this. You put this in here. Well, I, I just want, I put it in here partly because I wanted to call it out. I'm like, this is so dumb. This is a downshift because why in the world would the Red Bull risk having a situation like happen to Renault with Spingate? Why? Crashgate, yeah. Crashgate, Crashgate, excuse me, Crashgate. Why would they do that? You can't come up with a good reason why. Max, if Max finishes second in that race, he's, I think he was on track to finish second. He still, he still is on the positive side of points to Leclerc and his teammate. He might lose some points to Hamilton, but Hamilton is all but out of the championship hunt at this point. I don't think it's a goal of Red Bulls to keep Mercedes out of victory lane. I don't think that's written up on a board. I, I think this this is this it can this is people who just don't this is the people who just don't like Red Bull, Max Verstappen, or Christian Horner. Or people who and then these are just and these are just internet trolls who have nothing better to do than to sit in their mommy's basement and <laughs> and, and and think of reasons to get the F, uh, to maybe get the FI thinking. So if you're one of these people who who thought about this. This didn't even cross my mind. I don't even know where to shift on this. I mean, um, yeah, I downshift. I downshift, I guess, because it didn't even cross my mind until you even brought it up. I, I didn't. It's literally this never crossed my mind until crossed my mind either. It never crossed my mind. I mean, there's so many. There's not even. A, there's not alone. There's a champion. There's two championships on the line, but there's millions of dollars in fines on the line if this oh, if this is true. And people and people linking up like. Oh, the engine, the the one cute ass engineer on Red Bull is is smiling right after Yuki Tsunoda stopped. What? She could be smiling for any number of reasons, as as the rest of the guys on the on, on the the engineers on the pit box too. It's so stupid, so stupid. I, oh my gosh! All right, well let's wrap up the weekend because that was upshift downshift. Remember to play along with us anytime you want. Use the hashtag Robin Roller, spelled just as it sounds. And uh, you can play along. We'll answer your questions. We like to see your questions. Sometimes we might even discuss them on the air. Or, of course, remember to pick the to answer the Spotify question of the week. If you're a Spotify user, you can answer that question right now on your app. Let's jump into the weekend roundup, talking about who won the races this weekend. Uh, Formula 3 and Zandvoort. Kyle Collette won race one. And, again, once again, the pride of Barbados, Zane Maloney, won, wins his second F3 race. Good, good job there. Good to see that. Like I said, it's crazy that a Barbados driver is winning in Formula 3 right now, uh, but I love it, and it's really cool to see because I have watched Zane Maloney for the past two seasons now, so it's really cool to see him coming into his own right now in Formula 3. Uh, in Formula 2, in Zandvoort, Marcus Armstrong was the victor in race 1, then Felipe Drogovic won race 2. The uh, Dutch Grand Prix was also won by Max Verstappen in Formula 1. The Arkham and Art Series West Went to Portland with the IndyCar Series, and Jake Drew won that race. Uh, the USF 2000 was also there. They weren't the, just the only 
you know, ARCA wasn't the only feeder series there. Portland had there. a lot of races to watch this Portland, weekend. if you were up there in the pack Northwest this weekend and you were enjoying a good old weekend up at Portland, please tell me all about it because I'd love to go see a race up in Portland. I'd love to go see and visit the Pacific Northwest, period. Go Mariners, go Seahawks, go Kraken. Uh, anyway, USF 2000 in Portland. Race number one was won by Jace Denmark. Race number two was won by Mark Clark. And race number three was won by Jace Denmark with the uh, 2022 USF 2000 champion being Michael DiOrlando. Indy Man, Pro just 2000. barely two. Yes. If, if Miles Rowe finishes second, he wins that championship. Uh, Indy two Pro 2000 at Portland. Race one was won by Louis Foster. Race two was won by Reese Gold. And then race three was also won by Reese Gold with Louis Foster taking home the Indy Pro 2000 championship. Uh, Indy Lights at Portland was won by Benjamin Pedersen, who has been linked to some IndyCar rides. Definitely a nice big old win in Portland could potentially help his driver's stock. IndyCar at Portland was won by Scott McLaughlin, who continues to uh, build his build up some points and hoping to steal away the championship title from teammate Will Power. Uh, and then the NASCAR Xfinity Series at Darlington was won by Noah Gregson in a thrilling last lap duel between him, Kyle Larson, and Sheldon Creed. Uh, the Cup Series was won at Darlington. Eric Jones won his second career Southern 500, which is crazy to say now. Eric Jones, two-time Southern 500 winner. Not to say that I never thought he could do it, but I think that that's just something that Eric Jones should wear around his neck for the rest of his life as being a two-time Southern 500 winner, because how many people can say that? Not very many. I mean, he's on an illustrious list of, of drivers who have won the Southern 500, not once, but twice. I mean, Jeff Gordon, Jeff Burton. I mean, we're talking about some big names out there in, in NASCAR. Dale Earnhardt, I'm sure. I think he's won the Southern 500 twice. Um, just really fantastic. Obviously, Jeff Gordon's won it how many? Like six times? Um but uh, still, two times, winning the Southern 500 two times is a, a huge accomplishment. And I said this on Twitter. I said, in my humble opinion, the Southern 500 should be considered a crown jewel of American motorsport, period, because it is, in my opinion, the toughest NASCAR tra race to race, period. I mean, you can say what you want about Daytona and Talladega, but in terms of overall driver attrition and in terms of a race where you're able to control your own destiny, Darlington is the toughest, hands down. It's 500 miles of pure attrition, pure tire wear, pure, like, you're smacking the wall every single lap almost. Everybody comes out of there with a beat-up race car. I mean, and then the guy who has the least beat-up race car is usually the guy in the in the victory lane, like Eric Jones was on Sunday. Um, just an absolute great, great race. There's a couple of cool stats attached to this race, too, with him winning. One... With the 43 winning and the three winning last week, that was the first time since 99 that that's happened. When John Andretti won in the 43, and the week before, Dale Earnhardt won, I forget where. Are you serious? Serious. Since 99? I heard someone say it was like not since like the 60s, but if it's well, since 99, since, man. Since the, since the other stat is Eric Jones won 55 years to the day that Richard Petty scored his the last victory at his last victory at Darlington and his only Southern 500 win. Oh, okay. That so was Richard that was, Petty has one Southern 500 win. So you tell me already Eric Jones has more Southern 500 wins than the old boss man, huh? Correct. Now he won at Darlington three times, but he won two spring races in one Southern 500. So that was pretty 
cool to read on the way home from the track, which by the way, again, I think I said this in May, but you go to Darlington folks, go to Darlington. It's a lot of fun. It was so cool to be in a sold out crowd. It was awesome. I mean, I was in a sold out crowd at Charlotte in, in, in May, but it was cool to experience it from a fan side as well. And I mean, it was basically standing room only there for a while. It felt like so cool, cool to see, cool to see all that. Good race. Uh, I, I know we're bashing on it, but I think just the fact of the matter is next gen's put on such great, great races. I mean, I with all of its its safety problems, it's yeah, put on I mean, great safety racing. problems. Be damned! It's still put on some of the best races NASCAR Cup Series has seen in in a decade. I mean, look, the arrow is good. You just got to fix the internals. I mean, and yeah, you're right. But you talking about going? You're I'm luck. I'm jealous because I, I when when I went. And covered indie i was like dude i have to go see this car i mean this car is awesome on a road course i have to go see this thing on an oval and that's what made me impulse buy tickets to michigan and then as i remember as i'm driving home from michigan i'm like dang i wish they still went to kentucky dang i wish they still went to chicagoland you know i wish i could there was another race close by but no i went to the two races that are close by me they already happened they happened back to back i was like well, that's it. You know that those are my races for the year. Um, wish I could go to more. Uh, I, it's I'm I'm jealous of you though because you you got to go see one heck of a race. I'd love to go see a race at Darlington, especially with this next gen car. Uh, but you want know what, what you, you know what I'd also love to go see a race at. I'd love to go see this race at DuCoin, mm-hmm. uh, because that was a fun looking race today. I watched a little. I watched the Arca race today. Ryan Unzicker won the race. Uh, he's a dirt dirt. Uh, guy primarily doesn't run the full arca schedule runs the dirt races he was at uh springfield dirt race a couple weeks ago and then he won uh this race it was a rain shortened race didn't get this the full race in but uh unzicker winning that race was pretty cool um outstanding performance josh who are you gonna give it to this week man you know eric jones did a fantastic job um had a fast car all day long was kind of up there for most of the race um, but I gotta give it to Brad. I know a caution helped him out to get him to track position, if you will. But when he got up there, he was moving. He was passing. He was working. He was one of the cars out there who was finding ways around people, one way or another. Um, so he had a solid car. I think the RFK's biggest issue is they, they're qualifying is crap. If they could qualify more in the top 15, let alone the top, you know, top 10, I think he'd be, that team would have better results than what they're having. And and Christopher Busher, as has shown a lot of promise for 23, I think, is how I would label it. They missed the playoffs this year, but, man, he, he he's given that car a few, few runs, a few good runs. And Keselowski, for whatever reason, has got the short end stick of it a lot. But Brad had a solid car, and I was glad he got a top 10 out of it. So that's my outstanding performance with Brad and RFK this weekend. I mean, I think Brad knew what he was getting into. He knew it was going to be an uphill battle. Um, I think if I'm Brad, I'm all about like making sure that this week, this this year is just a benchmark for next year, you know? Uh, especially like like you said, both cars not being in the playoffs. I think if if I'm Brad Keselowski, I'm going back to the drawing board and being like, all right, well, we finished, you know, 
we finished 20th here at this race. Let's go out there and let's try and, and shoot for 15th. Let's try and shoot for 10th. You know, let's try and get better. Let's try and, you know, you have that benchmark. You want to do better. You have notes to fall back on. Um, not to say that they didn't have notes to fall back on, but Brad, Brad's kind of taking care of all of this now. You know, he's he's that, that new owner role. He's making these mm-hmm. calls. You know, he's getting, he's never been in a cup series owner's role you know so he's taking what he does know as an owner and trying to adapt and try and make the right decisions as as a cup owner now so it's going to take him a year maybe a couple of years to i think maybe turn rfk around but they've shown a lot of promise they've shown tons and tons of promise this year so i wholeheartedly agree with you given brad k the outstanding performance because i think I think they're getting better. They just they just really need to focus on that consistency. They get consistent, then they're going to start, you know, getting getting some wins through. But my outstanding performance is just going to go to Sheldon Creed because, quite frankly, the fact of the matter is this dude held off two way better cars. I mean, his tires were not be- that great, and he had aerodynamic damage that Larson and Gregson did not until at like the last lap. Yeah. But um. Prior to the last lap, Creed's car was objectively worse, and I je- I did not expect Creed to hold on to the lead for as long as he did. Um, I, no, I, I expected I expected him to 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 give up the lead with like five to go with with three five four three to go or something. But man, he hung in there. I mean, and he was driving for his his season. He was driving for his life. And I, I totally respect that out of him. I respect the hell out of it. Uh, and I think it goes to show just how good of a driver he is. You know, even though he didn't get the get the win, he didn't get the playoff spot, I still think it goes to show that Sheldon Creed is one heck of a driver. And this is this is just further proof. I mean, he sailed it in there video game-wise. I mean, he literally said after the race, he was like, he didn't even break in a, a last turn. He just sailed it in and was going to just ride the wall and then... The, the thing that always happens is you go in, you sail it in there, you ride the wall, and then all of a sudden the car starts to lose that momentum. And once it loses that momentum, you just can't you can't get it back in time. You can't get it back in time. You couldn't get it back in time. Gregson got by him, and uh, and Creed had to finish, settle for second. But overall, I thought that was an outstanding performance, and he definitely deserved, um, de- deserved a shout-out for that. So, Josh, yeah. that's uh, the show so far. You've got your last final segment here, though. Rollers featured week in racing, so you've got some history to tell us all about this week in the racing world. What what, what happened in this week in <laughs> racing, Josh? Well, we're doing uh, August thirtieth through September fifth this uh, this week. Uh, let's kick it off here. Alon Prost scored hit his. Oops, sorry for about that. I don't know if anyone heard that. Hit the tape desk here. Anyway, I'll restart. Uh, Prost scored his second career Formula One win at Zandvoort on August 30th, 1981. It was the Dutch Grand Prix, duh. And he drove the number 15 Renault Elf car and uh, won the pole for the race also. Nelson Piquet finished second in his Parmalat Racing Team Brabham, powered by Cosworth. Alan Jones, driving for Williams, finished third. Uh, Prost led... uh, uh, all but one of the 72 laps with Jones leading the other. Hector Rabake, PK's teammate, finished fourth and was the first driver one lap down. So, uh, and I, I can't remember what, I, I didn't note it here, but I can't remember what Zanvoort's circuit was like 
back in 81. But uh, anyways, if you if you lap everyone in the field except for the two cars that joined you on the podium, you kind of had a dominant day, and I like that. The final IndyCar race at Ontario Motor Speedway was on August 31st, 1980. The California 500 took three hours and 11 minutes to complete and included five cautions for 37 laps. There were eight lead changes among three drivers. The winner was uh, Bobby Unser. He was driving for Roger Penske. Unser uh, wheeled the Norton Spirit Cosworth uh, to 182 laps led. 37 cars started. Remember, this is essentially a carbon copy of Indianapolis Motor Speedway, only a little bit wider. Where They have 33 starters. This one had 37. But only 13 were running at the finish. 13 attrition riddled race. Uh, Johnny Rutherford was second and Rick Mears was third. Mears was one lap down. The uh, final driver to finish 13th place, Herm Johnson, uh, he was 26 laps down when he crossed the finish line. The Xfinity Series departed Canada after racing in Montreal from 2007 to 2012, but the NASCAR Camping World Truck Series picked up where the Xfinity boys left off. The first ever Chevrolet Silverado 250 at Canadian Tire Motorsports Park took place on September 1st, 2013. Three countries were represented on the leaderboard. Brazilian Miguel Paluto and Mexican Ramon Caroga uh, joined American drivers James Busher, Chase Elliott, Ryan Blaney, and Ty Dillon as lap leaders. The, the race is remembered very, very, very vividly by uh, an incident that took place in the final lap. Chase Elliott uh, diving in on the inside of Ty Dillon. Uh, in the final corner of the final lap, that spun Dylan and Elliot, boom, scooted off. He, he scored the win, the inaugural win, in his first uh, career truck series victory, as well as his first national series NASCAR win. Um, and that was in the number 94 Orange Chevrolet Silverado, Orange Dream Machine, Chevy Silverado for Hendrick Motorsports. And Dylan ended up finishing 17th. He was not very happy happy that day. I remember that. There was a few years there where people were not happy with one another um, at that race, which made that race just... Which which two young guns are going to get into it on the final corner, man? It, it was great. I, I, wish, I hope most sport comes back next year. Uh, Texas Roval, anyone? Anyone? Texas Roval? Okay, better than what's there now. Well, it was uh, it, that was a thing back in the early 2000s. The American Le Mans Series... Ran its inaugural race at Texas Motor Speedway on September 2nd, 2000. ALMS divisions LMP, GTS, and GT combined to have a total of 26 uh, starting cars, a total of 127 laps on the 2.324 mile course were completed in 2 hours, 45 minutes, and 46 seconds. Audi Sport Team America drivers Frank Biella and Emmanuel, Emmanuel Piero were the overall winners, and they had a margin of victory of 12.6 seconds. So I, I'm always impressed. You, you run a race for that long, not that many cautions, in a sports car race, and you're still only 12.6 seconds behind. I mean, that's... That's just so would impressive. would like to see the Texas Roval make a return. Not... Not, not like I, I, it's one of those things where it's like, I feel like 
when they built Texas and the Charlotte and Atlanta, they put those Rovals in there, and then they kind of fell into disuse. I feel like Texas and Atlanta, for that matter, could revitalize them and bring you some had, good old sports car racing in there. Or something you had two sports car series, and then when they had they all combined back into one, well, they're not going to run twenty six races like they did in the eighties. That's yeah. what the bummer. That's what the bummer there. Um, I I think At Atlanta. least Trans Am, you know, if yeah, Trans Am's going to go to a Gateway Roval, Texas Roval, come on. I feel like the SSCA uses the Atlanta. I know the Atlanta Roval gets used a little bit. It do- okay, good. I'm glad to hear that because yeah. I was I was always worried that it didn't get used because I always and there's it was a kind of unique and and you'd like this too, Rob. There's a little bit of elevation change to that Roval too. Um, I'm a big fan of Rovals with elevation changes. Yeah. Well, here's the next one. Um, it took Alexander Rossi over a year and three months to score his second career IndyCar victory after winning the 100th Indianapolis 500 in 2016. So, his first career win. Win number two came on September 3rd, 2017 at Watkins Glen. Uh, the IndyCar Grand Prix at the Glen saw Rossi lead 32 of 60 laps, defeating Scott Dixon by less than one second. Uh, Hunt, Ryan Hunter Ray rounded out the podium. Joseph Newgarden took a major hit in the points after finishing 18th as Dixon cut the lead down to three points going into the final race that season at Sonoma. Uh, Darlington Raceway hasn't changed much since its inaugural race on September 4th, 1950, the first ever Southern 500. NASCAR's first super speedway, no longer a super speedway, now just simply a speedway, but it was a super speedway back then, had 75 cars start. You may have heard this before, but 75 cars, I cannot imagine 75 cars racing around there. That would be wild. That's a race when you're like, I want I want someone to like magically come up with a TV coverage of that race. I know it doesn't exist, but this would be so cool to see. Uh, the race was co-hosted by NASCAR and Central States Racing Association, the only time this occurred, tire wear was such an issue that tires were borrowed and, yes, sometimes stolen from cars in the parking lot. Uh, at the time, Darlington measured 1.25 miles, meaning the inaugural Southern 500 was 400 laps and not 367 like it is today in its 1.366 measurement. Um, and for a while, for a few years there, it was measured at 133 uh, crap! I'm, I'm gonna get this wrong. But it's like three. It was. It it had enough where the race was. It was three point one point three seven five, which meant it was three hundred and sixty four laps. And then they changed it again. So it's kind of like Milwaukee that way, where Milwaukee's changed a few times uh, in the IndyCar side how how they measure it. But anyways, Johnny Mance was the ultimate survivor in his fifty Plymouth. He beat second place Fireball Roberts for the inaugural. Southern 500 race win by nine laps. Nine. That, that, I mean, that was an ultimate survival day that day, 100%. And finally here, Steve Park scored three career wins of the NASCAR Xfinity Series, all coming in the 1997 season. Uh, back then it was the Bush. Uh, his third and final win came on September 5th at Richmond Raceway, the Autolite Platinum 250, Park led 69 laps. Not the most laps. That was Jeff Burton. He led 89. Randy LaJoy finished second. Then Burton. 
Dick Trickle, and Buckshot Jones. Boy, that's a 90s top five if there ever was one. Dale Shaw driving the number four for Phoenix Racing, finished sixth. Then Jason Keller, Mark Martin, Tim Fidewa, and Hermie Sadler. Steve Grissom driving the number five Bear Alka-Seltzer Chevrolet for Labonte Motorsports, finished 39th. That's just like a, it was like Hendrick Motorsports in the Bush Series before Hendrick Motorsports was in the Bush Series. Because it drove the same exact five, maybe a little bit different, maybe just a slightly bit different, kind of like what the nine, the Gregson drives in Junior Motorsports career to chase Elliott Stein in the Cup, a little bit different. Anyways, uh, Steve Grissom today finished 39th, and Tony Stewart was in that race. He was driving the number 44 Shell Oil Pontiac for Joe Gibbs Racing, but he finished 40th. So uh, that was the uh, the history segment this week. Hope you all enjoyed that one. Never miss an opportunity to talk about the inaugural Southern 500, that is for sure. So, uh, Rob, if you don't have anything else uh, to add on that comment, question, or uh, just praise, <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, you can, you, we can roll into what's in the windshield. All right, let's look, uh, take a look at what's in the windshield for next week's uh, motorsports schedule. Arkham Menard Series West, next race is at October 1st at All-American Speedway. But the Arkham Menard Series East uh, wraps up here in a couple of weeks at Bristol on September 15th. Uh, Supercars is in Pukekohe for the final race at Pukekohe for Supercars uh, this weekend. Uh, the final European Formula One Grand Prix of the 2022 season is this weekend. Final. Formula One Grand Prix taking place in Europe this season. Uh, the Italian Grand Prix. Uh, IMSA is off until uh, October 1st when they uh, run the Petit Le Mans. But NASCAR will head to Kansas for a quadruple header featuring the Truck Series on Friday, ARCA Series, and Xfinity Series on Saturday with the Cup Series on Sunday. IndyCar has one race to go in 2022, and it's this weekend at Laguna Seca. Will Power holds a 20-point lead over New Joseph Newgarden and Scott Dixon. Then a 39-point advantage over Marcus Erickson and a 41-point lead over Scott McLaughlin. That's the championship battle. And that is the show for this week. So thank you guys so much for listening to the Racing with Robin Roller podcast. Uh, remember, you can find us on Twitter and social media at rpeters33, at roller underscore zero one, and at Robin Roller, spelled just as they sound. Um, be sure to let us know what you think. Uh, be sure to play along with the Upshift Downshift. Be sure to take a look at the Diecast Tuesdays. Be sure to answer the Spotify question of the week if you are a Spotify listener. And thank you to everybody who listens to us, all of our supporters, everybody. We really appreciate your support. For Josh Roller, my name is Rob Peters, and this has been the Racing with Robin Roller podcast. Have a great week, everybody, and enjoy the races. <laughs>